Good morning. Hi. Hi, people online. I always feel like I have to kind of impress them more. I mean, I look good for you this morning, but like they can turn me off at any time, which is kind of a little bit daunting. So I appreciate that you're here, friends. And you too. It's nice to see your faces, except whatever, COVID. Peace. (laughs) Um, Good morning. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name's Hannah. I usually hang out with our teenagers. And so I offer usually that with a little bit of a, I talk fast and loud. It's kind of part of the job description. Um, But I'm going to embrace peace this morning and remember to talk slowly and um, not a lot of this. We'll see how we do. I have purple hair. You can only expect so much from me this morning. Um, How many of you love Christmas? Okay, so there's a couple Grinches in the room. That's okay. Um, I, I love, I love, I love Christmas. Like, I really love Christmas. Everyone in the office can tell you how much I love Christmas because I have playlists and books and an insane amount of decorations. And my roommates yesterday, as we set up our tree and I pulled out more and more and more and more, were like, okay, so this is a thing for you. And I said, yes, I love Christmas. Uh, and like this morning when I woke up and came out of my room and my tree was lit in my living room, it just kind of was like, everything's right in the world. Had that moment of peace. Um, but one of the reasons why I love Christmas so much is because I really need Christmas. I can get mildly nerdy about the liturgical calendar, which is kind of like what we follow in church seasons. And I'm telling you, something physically switches in me on that first day of Advent. I like wake up and I'm like, it's coming. And I know it. And it's a rhythm I've worked hard to incorporate into my life. And I love it because it's like based on traditions. And I love traditions. And so Advent is is pretty easy for me to get on board with because... It's a season my soul needs as well. And as Christians, we need this Advent season to set our hearts straight, to remember important truths about our faith and about who God is. And I feel like that's especially important, especially in the craziness that is December. We need these Advent moments to pause and to remember what God has done and what he is doing. Advent calls me into this beautiful tension of now and not yet, remembering the past and anticipating the future. So uh, when Pastor Brian asked me to speak during Advent, I was ready for it. I was like, yes, okay, we're going to dive into Advent, and it's going to be great. But he asked me to preach on peace, and um, I have to confess that peace is my least favorite of all the weeks of Advent. I know you're not supposed to pick favorites, but I do. And it's not because it's a bad week, it's just because I really, 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 really like the other ones more. Um, But it's fine, I've rallied, it's still Christmas, it's still Advent, it's okay. And then I looked at my calendar and every peaceful feeling left. It's great, it's fine. How I ended up preaching about peace during probably the busiest season of my life is not lost on me. I know that God is in the details, and it is no small joke that that's what I'm doing this morning, and I just think it's wonderful that God works through us, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, there isn't any men in there. Uh, 
In thinking about the Christmas story and thinking about all of these familiar passages we read at this season in this time, I was trying to figure out, okay, well, what part of the story jumps out at me? What is God speaking to me in this season of Advent, especially when we look at peace? Spoiler alert, it's a really weird one. It's not the shepherds who had a heart attack, I'm sure, when a host of angels, like these beings, these creatures of light, show up suddenly in the middle of the field. And the irony is, as they show up and they're like, peace, don't be afraid. <laughs> You've never seen us before, but don't be afraid. It's pretty fun. So it's not in the shepherds, although it's pretty cool. And it's not in the fact that Mary just gave birth to the Son of God in a barn. Nope. This morning, I find myself resonating with peace in the prophets. Yep, I found peace in the guys who were marked as crazy and a little bit woo-woo generations before Jesus was actually born. Uh, I did just finish a paper on Elijah for my master's, and so I've been spending a lot of time in prophets, so I'm sorry if my (laughs) thesis for my paper shows up in this message this morning, but it's okay. Isaiah uh, is where we're gonna land, and you heard a little bit of it this morning. Thank you for reading Isaiah. And so I wanna read a little bit of chapter nine, and it's fun because Isaiah prophesies about a baby that's coming, and that this child is peace and will bring peace. And I think Isaiah's prophecy is an act of peace too, but we'll get to that in a minute. So if you have your Bibles, I wanna encourage you to open up to Isaiah chapter nine, Uh, or on your phone, or it's on the screen behind me. Here we go. We are going to read the first seven verses together this morning. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtal, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. Totally a Christmas message. I'll get there. For us, to, uh, for us, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So of course, the natural questions are, when is he coming and how's he gonna do that? And Isaiah and the rest of these people had to wait a long time for, this, for these answers. Decades, in fact. And spoiler alert number two, we have to wait too. So peace. What is peace? 
Not really sure some days because I grew up in a family of six. I'm the oldest of four kids, so I have no idea what peace is. And if somebody is quiet and silent in your house, that's not a moment for rejoicing. That's a time to panic because that's not peace. That's a sign that war is about to come. Not many of you laughed at that, and I feel like most of you are only children then because I'm like, come on, my siblings and I don't know peace. Just kidding, I love them, but anyway. Uh, it made me spend some more time thinking about what is peace. And so I asked the question on social media this week. I said, what does peace mean to you? And I got a variety of answers, most of which I was expecting, and some surprised me. Some were things like, my friend said, that moment on the couch when the kids are asleep, reading a book under a tree, sleep. I was like, yes, but you're also 16, so enjoy it while you can. Peace is stillness and quiet. It is a calm moment where I'm relaxed and happy, no stress. Peace is no drama at work. Some responses were as specific as you would hope, like hearing my friends laugh, a group hug, the sound of waves, the smell of the ocean, a specific song, or that sound of first snow on a winter's night. But some of the responses were incredibly insightful and you could tell had really been wrestled through. Pieces, right relationships, it's that immediate rush of relief. Peace is a calm certainty in chaotic moments or moments where the anxiety isn't felt all over my body. Peace is freedom without conflict. Peace is when someone listens to your thoughts and shares their own without arguing. When you can empathize with someone without having to worry about being wrong. Peace is everything as it was intended. The older I get and the more life experience I put under my belt, I've come to realize that peace is not the absence of conflict. I feel like that's how we start talking about peace, like peace is the absence of something bad that is missing. And peace is more than just not arguing about something. Peace is more than the absence of war. And peace is more than not being busy or stressed. Peace is more than a feeling, and it's more than just agreeing with each other. And so while, yes, I do enjoy these peaceful moments right there with the rest of you, like I just mentioned, I'm not sure that those are really a true definition of peace. And so Lauren hinted at it earlier, but there's this word shalom in the Bible. And it's fine if you've never heard that word because it's in Hebrew, but the Bible often translates shalom into the word peace. And it kind of gets lost in translation because there's some depth to that word. So shalom is the presence of wholeness or in another sense, completeness. It's a, it's a sense of flourishing. It's the presence of God's goodness. Shalom is this rightness of relationship between God and his creations. I've come to understand shalom as relationship between four parts over the years. We have ourself, our community, and like kind of humanity, people-to-people -people relationships, God, and creation. 
So when all four of these relationships function and fit as they are intended, they create these beautiful, complex harmonies. Like the notes in a chord, they each have individual parts to play, but there is something powerful that resonates of goodness when we hear them together. My favorite author of all time, her name is Sarah Bessie, and I quote her at Christmas time every year, and I will not stop today. <clears throat> she presented the contrast of peacekeeping versus peacemaking. And let me explain what I mean. I think peacekeeping is often keeping the status quo. It looks for no conflicts and it tries not to be controversial. It's polite. And peacekeeping is nice. And I think we often confuse it for avoidance. Peacekeeping is conflict adverse and it tries to keep everyone happy. Peacemaking, however, is active and embodied. Peacemaking is courageous and bold, and peacemaking can step into the mess to create change. Peacemaking is an intentional choice towards this wholeness. I'm a little bit of a pessimist, which is why we keep people like Lisa and Jen on staff to balance us out. Um, but I kind of think that peacekeeping is a futile job. I'm gonna be a little bit depressing for a second. Wouldn't peacekeeping infer that there actually is peace to keep? I mean, it's the busiest time of year. This month is full of every holiday party and so many year-end things. It's also definitely the most expensive time of year. And this season is particularly difficult to balance all of the relationships and the families, and it's tense for so many of us. Oh, and let's throw in general politics, a pandemic, and this new word that we've all learned, atmospheric rivers. Even if you love Christmas, like me, it's still really stressful. But peace on earth. I think it's really hard to keep the peace when the world doesn't really give us much peace, which is why I think we're called to be peacemakers. As people of faith, we are called to bring peace into situations that would otherwise be outside of our grasp. If Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, I think I wanna be a peacemaker. See, I also think that peacemakers get into a little bit more mischief, and I really like those kind of people. In case the purple hair didn't give it away. Sarah Bessie says this, I believe peace is hard fought in the corners of our own hearts long before it is demonstrated and enacted. I believe in a peaceful imagination that dares towards joy and hope and challenges the way that it is and the way that it's always been and the way that it will likely always be. I believe that the Holy Spirit is more than enough within us. And I believe that Jesus wasn't stupid or naive or just didn't get what it meant to be alive these days. I believe that Jesus transforms us, even our desires and our thoughts into who we were meant to be all along. And I think that's what peace is. I think peace is fighting for that wholeness, the shalom. And if I look at the way that Jesus lived out his life, I don't think he was a peacekeeper. I mean, yes, Jesus did calm the raging storms, 
but he also flipped a couple tables. And yet we call him the Prince of Peace. I think peace is part protest. It's resistance and peace advocates. Peacemaking involves forgiveness, reconciliation, and a lot of those polarizing conversations. Peacemaking means calling out injustice and broken systems. Peacemaking is embodying shalom in our personal and communal life. And I think that we see these peacemaking moments on the really big communal scale, and yet they can also be really ordinary moments in our day-to-day life. Which is why I think Isaiah resonates with me. He's this voice in the darkness proclaiming something crazy. It's more than just asking for political peace, and it's more than announcing that a baby will be born. It's this voice in the wilderness saying, peace, it's coming. God's kingdom is coming, and it will be marked by peace. See, I have to think that peace is kind of fierce, because it has to be. Violence and discord won't go down without a fight. And I think that's what it means to be a peacemaker. It's to disrupt the darkness. Cue the prophets. This was their job. They were appointed to call out the way, of it, the way that Israel was acting and say, no, 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 this isn't it. They called out evil rulers and they called out systematic oppression and they called out the false gods that had taken root in Israel's heart. They spoke to grief, despair, hopelessness, and confusion. And all the while, the prophets were constantly saying, no, not that way. It's not supposed to be this way. Come this way. This, this is a better way to live. This is what we have to hope for. They were often the lone lone voices in the wilderness calling God's people to a different way of life. And they were the ones saying, our savior is coming. A new way of life is upon us. Just wait for it. They were the ones refocusing the attention to the hope of the coming peace. And Isaiah is well aware of the chaos his people are experiencing. Their country is a bit of a mess, and he acknowledges that, hence the weird verses in that section. And yet... Isaiah is prophesying that a prince of peace will bring in a new kingdom, a new reign, and a new rule, and it's going to be marked by the shalom. So fast forward. What do we get to see in Jesus? He's a guy who brought a countercultural way of life. Jesus flipped social standings upside down when he made friends with the marginalized. When Rome was preaching law and order, Jesus said, love your neighbor. Turn the other cheek. Jesus modeled sacrificial love at every turn. He was peace, but he wasn't always polite. He definitely made a lot of people pretty uncomfortable, and he was not afraid to stir the pot. And yet, he is peace. Popular theologians urge us to expand our understanding of shalom to include all forms of social justice, including economic, racial, and environmental issues, just like we see throughout the Bible and in Jesus' ministry. Shalom is understanding that we are one together. We have to dismantle a few systems to get there, but shalom is the biblical vision of one community embracing all creation. This piece 
the shalom, and this wholeness isn't just for me or for individually. That's one part. The shalom is shared, and it doesn't get to come to me if it comes at a cost for my neighbor. Part of my inner peace is directly influenced by the peace and the rightness of the community and creation around me. As we have seen in the last couple weeks, peace is a kingdom value. And Isaiah is at this weird time where he's anticipating the hope of the coming Savior. He's waiting for God's kingdom. And just like Isaiah, we also find ourselves in this weird time. Jesus has come, but he's coming again. Advent reminds me that peace was announced then, peace was promised to us here in the now, and that peace is the pinnacle moment that we are all anticipating. What was prophesied here in Isaiah rings true again when it's announced at the birth of Jesus. The angels sing peace, peace on earth. And peace is what we cling to in the season of waiting for God to bring the world to this wholeness. And I think that's why we feel peaceful in these ideas that my friends suggested earlier. And I also think that's why they're important. I think it can be an act of peacemaking to stop and to stand at Crescent Beach and listen to the waves. Believe me, after this past season, rest, not like rest on the couch with Netflix, but true rest is an active part of peacemaking. These moments of peace bring me back into wholeness with myself and with God and the people around me and even creation. I am a better person after those peaceful moments. And I think we all can resonate with that. These moments of peace aren't just moments of peace, but they're moments of peace where the peace can transform us. And I think it's because our soul needs these peaceful moments so that we can realign ourselves with God's shalom and get back to that wholeness. At least as close as we can, this side of heaven. These moments of transformation, when we let God's spirit speak to us and point us back in the right direction, these are moments where we are embodying peacemaking. These moments of peace are important. I don't want to minimize them. But also some of these peaceful moments take work, especially when it comes to relationships with others. To enjoy peaceful relationships, we've had to have really hard conversations where we've had to be patient, where we've had to put aside our pride or the fact that we know that we're right so that we can engage with each other. And that's not easy. For me, and I'm guessing for some of you, oftentimes these moments of peace mean that we say no to something else. We say no to something else that would seek to distract us so that we can rest in God's peace. Peacemaking is hard work, and it sometimes means we have to step into the muck. I think that this is the tension of peacemaking. Peacemaking embraces the both and of the world. Peace says it's not peaceful out there, but God is peace. Peace acknowledges the reality of the world and acknowledges the coming reality of God's kingdom. Peace is the fighter that fights the chaos. 
Peacemaking is trusting what God has said and keeping with it. Peace is trusting God without looking for reasons to doubt. We have to make the decision to rest in peace and then to trust it, which means we have to actively resist the doubt. (laughs) Easier said than done. Because it's pretty easy to fall back into doubt and to panic. I like to think I'm a peaceful person, but I'm slowly becoming convinced that I'm not. See, I'm too dramatic to be peaceful. (laughs) Brian's over there nodding his head. Like, yep, that's true. Um, But I constant, but I've had to make peace with a lot of things in my life, even though they don't look exactly the way I expect them to. But I can flip back to the other side of that really quickly. I can step into panic. I constantly feel like I'm not there yet. I'm not even sure what this there is. I just know that whatever that is, I'm not there. I haven't reached it and I haven't arrived. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I feel. I feel like I'm working on the puzzle of my life, but I don't have the box with the picture on it. (sighs) Could you imagine doing that 40,320 piece puzzle without the picture? (laughs) It was already hard. I'm really good at comparing my life to the people around me and returning to God frustrated, saying that, well, my puzzle doesn't look like that. Peacemaking, for me, is reminding myself over and over and over and over again that God knows what the picture of the puzzle looks like. He made the puzzle, and he will give me every tool that I need to make the puzzle, and I'm not missing a piece. Will the puzzle look like I expect? No. And thank goodness. It's an ongoing decision for me to continue to rest in that piece. Got some work to do. But sometimes I think in that we can have these overwhelming moments of peace and they make no sense. But sometimes peace often shows up as a quiet confidence because peace is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Last week, our regional minister, Larry, was here, and he spoke a good word about how the gift of Advent is God with us. The name of the baby born at Christmas time is Emmanuel, God. Okay, Larry would be a little bit unimpressed if you were here last week. Emmanuel means God is? Good job, you passed. I know we're Baptists, but we have to like practice a little bit. At the end of Jesus' ministry, when he knows uh, it's time for him to go to the cross, but his disciples haven't quite picked up on that yet, he says, I'm going away, but I'm giving you the comforter. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you this counselor. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Jesus gives the gift of himself. Peace. Earlier in the fall, we spent some time in a sermon series talking about how the Holy Spirit is with us and equipping us to do the work, do the work of peacemaking. We have access to the Holy Spirit, which means we have access to this reservoir of peace, which is why when we have these completely nonsensical, overwhelming moments of peace, people think that we're crazy because we're trusting God in those moments and we're not trusting ourselves or logic or what social media says or what the world says. We're trusting peace. 
We're trusting God. I would encourage you actually to go back and listen to some of the songs that we sang this morning because I think Lauren did a great job of listening to the Spirit and choosing songs that resonate. And so I think if you go back and listen to them, there'll be some new things that pop out because some of them uh, say these type of things. I love how the Holy Spirit brings it all together. But also those songs are important, but I don't know about you, but every few, year, every few years, I change what my favorite Christmas song is and it usually sticks with me for a few years and then I choose a new one. But I'm currently still stuck on I Heard the Bells and there's a line in there that tries to make me cry every time I hear it. And it says, then, re- then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. I think peace is what allows us to sing those songs. We can declare the truth of who God is among the chaos. Because isn't that what the peace that surpasses all understanding means? Declaring the truth of God and who he is exactly when it doesn't make any sense. It's like Isaiah said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. We know peace because unfortunately, we've seen darkness. What I love about Advent is that it rings the bells and calls us into what will be. It says, right will prevail. And it's a season where we let these four themes of hope, peace, joy, and love, and we remind ourselves what's going on around us and, and focuses in on God and steps away from the distractions of December. Advent says into these dark winter nights, it's not supposed to be this way. But here's a better way. It's coming. We light the candles at night or at 10.15 in the morning because these light, it stands in protest to the darkness. The candle is just light but it is actively pushing away the black. Light, in its very essence, disrupts the darkness. Peace is active. It is certainly not always a state or an emotion to achieve, but it is a way of being. It's something that we embody. I believe peace has its place in this Advent season because it was foretold, because it was promised. It remains our birthright and it's the final destination. It is the hope. It's announced at birth of the one who brings it. Peace on earth. Peace is what we're working for, what we believe in, and it's what we practice. And we're going to practice it in the small way of communion this morning. We tell the story of Jesus' birth actually to propel us to Easter. He was born so that he could die for us, so we could have that peace. 
Peace is the knowledge of our salvation. It's also our assurance of our salvation. We practice communion to remember that our waiting is not in vain. We sing songs like we sang earlier, kingdom come now. And we practice it and we embody it in communion. So we celebrate Jesus' broken body as an act of peacemaking. It's a step of remembrance and of embodiment towards this wholeness that is promised to us. Communion is one of the ways that we ring the bells. We shout into the darkness and we proclaim that Jesus has come and that he's coming again. So I would encourage you to grab um, your communion cups. They're purple. If you need one uh, in the building this morning, just kind of wave your hand and an usher will bring you one. This is the skill testing question of the morning. There is the flap, but it's two pieces. So you want to take the clear part off for the bread and then the, the actual whole tab out for the, for the juice. We're going to eat the bread and, and the drink separately, um, but together at the same time. And like Brian said, this is one of these moments for public health orders that you are allowed to take off your mask and partake. Uh, so I want to encourage you just to sit in the peace, in the stillness, in the quiet this morning for a minute or two and reflect on peace. Reflect on the sacrifice that the Lord has done this morning, or has done for us. Remember that he is coming again and ask him what peacemaking could look like for you. So I encourage you just to take a minute to pray. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to pray for a second. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for the gift that it is for us. And in doing so, you've given us peace and life. As we take this time to pause and to remember your sacrifice, we just, we do so. Remembering all that you've done in our life and all that you are doing and all that you will do. As an act of, Together, as a church family, and as your people in your kingdom, we celebrate the peace that you have given us. And Lord, we just ask that you would turn us into peacemakers in our own life, that as we crave this rightness, this wholeness, this shalom, Lord, would you guide us to it? Would you teach us? Would you speak to us? Thank you that you are with us 
and that you give us peace. Thank you for the truth of who you are. Lord, we pray, come again quickly. Bring forth this shalom. We long to see it. Thank you for your sacrifice. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, for whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again.